The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. John chapter 15 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible and turn there, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into it a little bit. Uh, while you flip there, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of set us up a little bit for where we're going this morning, but recently I got lunch with a buddy of mine. Uh, he's a member of our Lexington Church, and we were just getting together uh, to kind of talk about what was going on in life, what God was doing in uh, our lives and our families, all that kind of stuff, and uh, basically he had been really struggling for a while uh, with just some per- pervasive habitual sin, and he, to be fair, he had been been fighting it. He had been trying to fight against it a lot, but it just always seemed to tempt him. It just always seemed to be around the corner, so to speak, in his life. And he was telling me about these things, and you could just kind of see the look on his face that he felt rather defeated, uh, a little bit demoralized, a little bit hopeless. And at one point in time in the conversation, he just sunk his head, his eyes hit the floor, and he said to me, he said, you know, Bailey, I'm going to be honest, I have just kind of made peace with the fact that this is just always going to define my life. That this struggle, that this temptation, it's just always going to be a part of me. And I'm, there's just nothing going to happen with it. It's just going to be there until the day I die. And you could, you could sense the hopelessness in his voice, that he had just kind of resigned himself to, my life is never going to bear fruit in this way. My life is never going to bear the fruit that I want it to bear in my life. And I just, I don't know what to do, so I just kind of feel like I've got to give up a little bit. As we get in this morning, my question for you is, have you ever felt that way? Like, have you ever been there in that moment? Like, like things just aren't going to change. They're not going to get any better. And you just feel a little demoralized by it. Perhaps, perhaps it's over a sin, like my friend. Something in you, something in you, inside of you that you know is not okay, and you don't want it to be there, and you're fighting against it, but it just feels like it's there all the time, and you don't know if you've got the juice to keep fighting against it. Or perhaps it's a circumstance, maybe some situation you find yourself in in life that's just really, really hard, and you have been praying and asking God to change it for a really long time now, and nothing seems to be getting any better, and you're just wondering, can I keep going? Can I keep going with this? Well, if that's you, if you've ever been there, and I imagine for a lot of us we have been, but if that's you this morning, I think the I am statement that we're going to investigate of Jesus today, honestly, is going to be really encouraging to you. I think it's going to be really good news for you this morning, and it comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, and here's what we'll do. I'm just going to read the whole passage. I know we just heard it, but I'm going to read it again, and then we'll just work our way back through it and pick it apart, okay? So let's get in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me... So have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All right. So the I am statement he gives us. He says, I am the true vine. Vine imagery is a really popular one throughout the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. A vine or a vineyard was often used as a metaphor for the nation of Israel. However, in the Old Testament, this is virtually always a bad thing, okay? Virtually in the Old Testament, every time this imagery of vine gets brought up, it's a bad thing for Israel. Israel would be illustrated as this vine that God took immense care and consideration for to plant and to prosper. And despite his desires for them, they would wind up being fruitless and have to be destroyed. So in Isaiah 5, God calls Israel a vineyard that he planted to bear the choicest fruit. But Israel didn't, so he says he's going to destroy it. In Jeremiah 2.20, he says he planted them as a choice vine, but they became corrupt. In Ezekiel 15, he calls Jerusalem a useless vine that should just be thrown into the fire. So yeah, for Jesus's audience here, this vine language would bring up, be, a, be a pretty sore reminder of all of their failures as a people, to be who God had called them to be. So when Christ takes this imagery onto himself, he's actually saying something pretty special. He's actually saying some pretty profound and pretty encouraging things for the people who would hear him. And what I want to do today is I want to help us see them and how they apply for our lives as well. So here's where I want to start. I want to start with this claim. Your life is meant to bear fruit, okay? Your life is meant to bear fruit. If you're a believer in Jesus, your life is meant to be different than who you were and what it was before you knew Christ. If you, you are meant to bear fruit, if you're a believer in Jesus, your life is meant to be noticeably different from the rest of the world out there. And Jesus' own words right here make that abundantly clear. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that they may bear more fruit. The expectation is, is that your life would be a fruitful life, right? Like the expectation is that your life would bear fruit. In fact, Jesus is going to say that if your life isn't bearing fruit, then that should actually be a cause for alarm for us. That should cause some alarm bells to go off in our brain because it means that God's going to take that branch away. It's a scary proposition, right? Now, let's be real clear for a moment on what we actually mean when we say fruit, when we say that God wants our lives to be fruitful. Let me be clear. We are not talking about promotions and large bank accounts, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. We're not talking about nice cars and nice houses and that kind of thing. That, that is certainly a certain kind of fruitfulness, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a fruit that is born out of a connection with him. So just like you would expect to get oranges from an orange tree or apples from an apple tree, it's the same with Christ. Like if you go to an apple tree and you get an orange, something has gone terribly wrong, right? Like something is off with that tree because a tree is known by its fruit. And a tree's fruit is going to reflect the type of tree that it comes from. So Jesus isn't talking about a house with a white picket fence and the 2.5 kids or Benzes and Bugattis or anything like that. He's talking about lives that look like his. That's what fruit is for the Christian, a life that looks like the life that Jesus himself lived. The Bible's going to call these things fruit of the Spirit. Y'all heard of fruit of the Spirit? 
You know what I'm talking about? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that the believer's life is meant to be marked by. So instead of lives marked by an inability to say no to ourselves, unable to drink responsibly, unable to say no to sexual immorality, be it porn or sleeping around or whatever, instead of lives being marked by an inability to control our temper when our spouse does that annoying thing for the thousandth time, instead of that, you're intended to be a person who can remain in control, who can remain calm, cool, collected in the midst of all of that. When you used to not be able to be in the same room as somebody who hurt your feelings or who offended you or who held a belief or an opinion different from your own, when you used to be a person who would name call and belittle those who were different from you, instead of, being, instead of relationships consistently characterized by drama and conflict, now in Christ, you're intended to be a person who possesses an ability to be patient and kind and gentle towards your opponents and sincerely love all of those who are around you, no matter how wrong or how hurtful or how misguided they might be. Whereas the headlines from the news or the uncertainty of the future used to cause anxiety and fear to well up inside of you and control how you think and act, what perhaps worry for how your children are going to turn out or worry whether or not you've got enough in the bank account or worry even just over your own well-being. Now you operate with a peace, no matter how tumultuous the circumstances might be. You become a person who's unshakable in the face of chaos. This is the life that God intends for his people to have. Now, all of that might sound utterly impossible to you this morning. All of that might sound like a glorified pipe dream. You may be looking at your life and thinking, okay, I am, I am nowhere close to that. My life does not reflect that hardly all and if that's you that's actually the first reason why jesus being the true vine is actually really good news for you because when jesus calls himself the true vine he's saying that i am for you what you could not be for yourself when he says i am the true vine he is saying i am for you what you could not be for yourself he's saying i am the fulfillment of all that israel was supposed to be for all of the ways that they failed to follow God, all the ways that they sinned against him and failed to keep his commands, Jesus did not. And what he says to, him right, says to them right here, he says, I am the true vine. And if you are connected to me, if you are in me, you are that vine too. You are what you are meant to be. And so hear me, hear me on what this means for us. It means that for you today, he has done for you what you could not do for yourself. For all of your failures to be who God has called you to be, all of your sins and all of your failures to bear the fruit that you were meant to bear and should have borne, Jesus overcomes and he achieves in your place. Y'all, this is the good news of the gospel, right? This is the beautiful thing about who Jesus is, that you and I are saved by grace. 100, 110% saved by grace that you could not do what you needed to do to save yourself. But Jesus has done it for you. Amen. Amen. So hear me. To become a Christian is not to say, boy, look at me. Turning my life around. I'm cleaning things up around here. I'm going to live a good life. No. Jesus says the only way to really become a Christian is not to say, I'm going to get back on track, I'm going to live a good life, but to actually come to God and say, I can't live this good life. I cannot be who you have called me to be. I haven't lived a good life.
life. And God, I need you. I need you to accept me because of what Jesus did for me, not on what I think I bring to the table here. The truth is, though, is this is so opposite of how so many of us approach Christianity. So opposite of how many of us approach this whole faith in God thing. Typically, when a lot of folks come to Christianity, they want to ask the question, all right, what are the rules? What are the things that I need to do in order to get God on my side? What are the things that I need to do to make God happy with me so that he'll bless my life and all that kind of stuff? How do I need to look good on the outside? And many people believe that becoming a Christian is about cleaning yourself up and trying to muster up fruit on your own to try to please God. But to truly become a Christian means to come in faith to the vine. To come to Jesus saying, I want you to be my everything. I want you to be my reason for doing everything. I want you to be what fills me up in the inside and actually causes me to bear real fruit in my life. To say, I can't do this on my own, but I need you. I need your righteousness. I need your power. I need you to do the heavy lifting of changing me. That's what I need you for. And so maybe this morning, that's you. Like, I don't know where you're coming from this morning. But maybe this morning, that's you. Maybe you're here and you've been spinning your wheels for longer than you care to remember to try to do enough good things to make God happy with you. And I'm here today to tell you, friend, you can put that down. You can put that down. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Christ has done everything to earn salvation for you. There's no more work left for you to do. And so all of this weariness, you can be done with that and put your trust in him and be free. That's his offer to you this morning. But the beautiful thing is, is not only has Jesus become for us what we couldn't become for ourselves, but when he calls himself the true vine, he is also saying to us that he gives us the ability, the power to be who we were meant to be. That not only is he everything that we couldn't be for ourselves, but he gives us the power to actually become who we were meant to be. Let's look at verse 4. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says that those who abide in me, what will they do? They will bear much fruit. And those who don't, won't. That word abide is a word that means to make your home in. That if you make your home in him, you will bear fruit. That Jesus will actually produce in you the very life that you were meant for. I'll try to give you a little bit of an example. Uh, So uh, the Bailey clan is a live Christmas tree clan okay like if you do the fake tree thing that's totally fine you do you that's totally cool I do think it says something about you but whatever that's fine okay but that's for the Baileys we are a live Christmas tree people and so we love to go out to the tree farm cut down a tree usually we have somebody else cut it down for us because you know I mean who wants to get their hands that dirty Uh, but we have we get somebody to get the tree for us. We bring it home. We make a whole day of it, right? We put it in the water, put it in the corner of the house, and then we get out all the lights and all the decorations and just sort of go to town. And here's the thing. We make that tree look real good, all right? Like, we make it look real good. Like, before, it was just green. But when I get done with it, it's got lights. It's got color. It even has a star on top of it. 
I mean, when I get done with that thing, it looks amazing. It has changed for the better, in my opinion. But give it five weeks, right? Give it five weeks, and the once beautiful, the once thriving, the once flourishing tree is drooping needles, and it's making a mess all over the floor because I've cut it off from its life source, right? I've cut it off from what it actually needs to survive. And no matter how much I pretty up the outside, no matter how much I try to make it look like it's actually living, it actually can't survive. And this is what it's like when you have a life that's disconnected from the vine. You can pretty up the outside all day long, but at the end of the day, you are not going to survive. So don't get me wrong. You can come in here and you can play the Christian game, all right? You can come in here and you can do that. You can say all the right things. You can even quote a few Bible verses and phrases that you've heard other preachers or other Christians say. But if you are not abiding in Christ and remaining connected to him, when you leave here, you will not produce the type of life he is calling us into. You will not prosper. You will not thrive. You will not become who God has made you to be. But what Jesus is saying here is that he offers us another option. He offers us something different. And so the obvious question to be asking next would be, well, what does it look like? How do I abide? How do I tap into this? How do I tap into this power that God provides me to actually become the person he's calling me to be? And that's a great question. But Jesus' answer might actually surprise you. Let's jump down to verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Let's get something clear right off the bat. He does not say, if you keep my commandments, you will receive my love. Okay? And that is a very important distinction. We get all kinds of backwards when we start thinking that the things we do earn us love or worth from God. But he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will experience the fullness of my love. You will remain connected to me. And so you got to hear me here. Christians don't obey God to make ourselves right with God. We obey God to be close to God. Okay? To experience the life that we are meant to have. He says, he says here, so that your joy may be full. Do you understand what this means? This means that Jesus' commands are for you. Right? His commands are for you. They are for your good. Obedience is not God trying to take something from you, but it's God trying to give something to you, okay? And for you to experience all the fullness of his joy and love, he says, no, come to me and abide. Do what I say. I'll give you an example. So about six months ago, I have a three-year-old at the house right now. Uh, he's making our lives uh, all kinds of chaotic. We love him, but it's chaos. We'll admit that. Uh, we, about six months ago, we started doing this whole potty training thing. Uh, and so we were doing the potty training deal, and I was teaching him what we do and what we don't do when we go to the bathroom. I was trying to impart some wisdom to my son a little bit. So I was looking at Cannon. I was like, Cannon, we aim, all right? This is what we do when we go to the bathroom. We aim. We wipe. We keep our hands to ourselves, and we wash them when we're done, all right? And Daddy makes sure that these things happen, and Daddy's going to send Cannon back to the bathroom to wash his hands if he comes out and hasn't done it. And if he fights me for it, we might go to timeout. We might do a little, no, you don't get to leave the bathroom without washing your hands type, type of thing. But here's the deal. 
I don't tell him this to ruin his fun or repress his individuality in the bathroom, right? Like, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I tell him this because I want him to have a good first date. That's why I tell him this. I want him to have a good first date. You know, the one where he doesn't pee himself. And he doesn't leave some unsuspecting young lady to have to change his diaper. I tell him this because I want him to experience the fullness of my love. The fullness of what life is meant to be. And so he needs to obey me when it comes to the potty because of something that I want for him. And Jesus says if we want to experience the fullness of life that he is trying to give us, then what we need to do is we need to trust him and do what he says too. That's what he's saying. So when his word tells you to forgive your brother 70 times, 7 times, he is telling you that to free you. He is not telling you that so that they get off scot-free. He is telling you that because he has something for you. He's telling you that to free you from the prison of bitterness that you've built for yourself. Because you recognize that, right? All bitterness is is a self-made prison that you're the guard of. Because listen, their ability to apologize to you or to make things right, like that has no bearing on whether or not you choose to actually forgive them. So he says to us, forgive like I've forgiven you. To free us up from constantly having to be mad and sad and bitter in all of our relationships. When he tells you that it's better to give than to receive, that you can't serve God and money. He's not telling you that because he needs your money and he wants to take it from you. It's not why he's telling you that. He's telling you that to free you. He's telling you that to free you from the pain and turmoil of jealousy and covetousness. He's telling you that to help you see that all this stuff that you spend your life chasing, the car, the house, the bank account, it's going to wind up in a dump one day. It's all headed to the same place. And if you focus all your energy on it, now you're going to constantly find yourself dissatisfied and jealous. And God's like, I got better for you than that. I got better for you than that. Let me preach here for a minute. You want to know where people have the most shame and guilt in their lives? You want to know? The place that people have the most shame and guilt in their lives, where people feel the most brokenness, is sex. It is. It's where we experience it. And when God tells you that sex is meant for a man and a woman inside of marriage, he's not taking anything away from you. That's not his aim. His aim is not to ruin anything for you. Instead, he's trying to protect you. Protect you from all the brokenness and the heartache that comes along with breaking it. Studies have shown that the most secure, confident, and sexually content persons out there are married, monogamous women. And God wants that for you. He wants that security for you. He wants that contentment for you. He's not trying to take from you. And listen, this is the case for all of God's commands. This is why the psalmist says so often that he delights in the law of the Lord. Because this is what Jesus is saying. It's that God's commands are for our good. They are for our good. And if you want to experience the fullness of being connected to the vine, if you want to experience the fullness of joy and fruitfulness of a life restored to God, then trust him and do what he says. Or I'll say it another way. Let your faith breed faithfulness. Let your faith breed faithfulness. And some of you need to hear this right now, okay? Because some of you are experiencing misery currently because you're choosing it. 
Because you're choosing it. You're choosing to do life your own way instead of Christ. And it's doing nothing but bringing misery into your life. So you're currently living with all kinds of relational drama right now because you're unwilling to follow Jesus' command to forgive as you've been forgiven. You're so frustrated and discontent because of all the money and stuff you don't have uh, that you want because you refuse to listen to Jesus when he says that your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're overwhelmed by worry and anxiety because you think his instruction to seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added to you is just a suggestion. That's why that stuff exists in your life. And listen, Jesus' point here is the more and more you choose to live your life outside of his commands, the more and more joy and fullness and fruitfulness are always going to slip away from you because you're choosing to be disconnected from the vine. And so here's the big idea. Your faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. You hear me? Your faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. I want you to say that back to me. Your faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. Say that. That's right. Look at your neighbor and say that. Your faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. Come on. Say it. Your faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. That's right. That's right. Here's another way we've said it in the history of our church. It's that the things you do will do things to you. Okay? Your faithfulness will bring about fruitfulness. This is what the Lord has promised, that the things you do will do things to you. They will help you stay connected to the vine. So look me in the eye. There are a whole lot of you. You have things in your life right now that are making you unhappy, that are making those around you unhappy, and are grieving the heart of God. And you are just letting them exist. That's currently what's happening right now. You're just leaving them there undisturbed, and you're pessimistic about you ever being able to change. Well, here's the word that I have for you this morning is that Jesus Christ says, I am the one who brought the innumerable stars into existence with the mere sound of my voice. And all of my power, all of my power is committed to making you who you were meant to be. And all of my power is dedicated to dealing with every problem, every flaw, every weakness in your life. And I am committed to your holiness and your flourishing and your purity and your beauty and your joy. I'm here to make you everything you are intended to be. And all you need to do is abide in me. All you need to do is abide. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, what do you think? Are you living as if that is true? Are you taking that seriously? Are you as happy as you ought to be hearing that? Are you as potentially nervous as maybe you ought to be hearing that? If he's the true vine, this means he is the source of our power for our growth. And so hear me. You are not a lost cause. You're not. No matter what your circumstance may be right now, you are not a lost cause. And so hear me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever your fight is, don't give up. Stay connected to the vine because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is not the same power that lives in you. And change might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. But as the word says, your father is the vine dresser, and he's going to get his fruit. He's going to get it. And that's our last thing for today is that, believer, God is committed to your growth. God is committed to your growth. As it says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
God is going to grow you. And you might look at your life right now and see only the slightest bit of fruit. You might be discouraged about that, but hear me, God isn't. God isn't. No matter how discouraged you might be with the minuscule fruit you see in your life, God isn't discouraged by that. God looks at that and says, I can work with that. I can work with that. I can grow that. I can bring some beautiful, glorious, God-glorifying fruit up out of that. Don't give up on that because it's small right now. It might take a little work, but I'm going to bring that growth. But I need you to hear me say one thing this morning. That might mean that things are not going to be easy, okay? Your change might not be easy. Your growth and your overcoming, it might not be easy. Because what's it say here? It says that the father is the vine dresser who prunes, right? If you go into a vineyard at pruning time, every year they prune. Every year. Uh, And if you have an untrained eye like me, it looks like a mess. Like it looks like a total disaster. From what I can tell, the gardener is basically just kind of attacking the poor plant. Like just chopping things off left and right. Basically trying to kill it. Because when he's done, all over the ground, there are all of these beautiful and seemingly fine things just laying there. Like there are little clusters of grapes and little uh, leaves and branches that are just like, why Why did you not leave this on the vine? And then you look up and you see the vine and the vine looks terrible. I mean, it's bleeding everywhere and you're like, oh my gosh, certainly, certainly this is not good for it. I mean, you can go watch this stuff on YouTube and see for yourself, but it's been cut and it looks horrible and it looks like it'll never survive. But you and I both know that if you have a skilled gardener, then there is not one thing that he cuts off that would not have been a loss to keep and a gain to lose right? Can I say that again? A skilled gardener never cuts off anything. He never prunes anything that would not have been a loss to keep and a gain to lose. In other words, he doesn't cut like a butcher. He cuts like a surgeon. Everything that was taken off has to be taken off if that plant is going to reach its fullness. If it's going to become as productive as it is meant to be. If it's going to reach its power and reach its potential. Those things had to go. Therefore, when Jesus, says that this, when Jesus says this, this is what he's saying, that when the knife comes into your life and things get hard and you get discouraged, when things you've always wanted get taken away or things you've put your heart on are removed or the dream is gone and you don't feel like you have enough juice to go on, hear me, God is at work, all right? That means God is at work and he is only removing the stuff that wasn't going to make you fruitful anyways, Because here's the deal. God prunes the ones he loves, all right? God prunes the ones he loves. You know, so often we ask God to change the situation we're in, not knowing that he has put us in that very situation to change us. I'll give you an example of this. So for my wife and I, the the first year of our marriage was this season for us. Like Lauren and I will both tell you that our first year was the closest thing to hell that either one of us ever want to come close to ever again. Like we'll just put it out there and be honest with you, okay? Like I was coming from a background where my mom, God bless her, she just did a lot for me. Probably too much, to be honest with you. Like she probably just did too much for me. So I was the husband who I would leave like the sink full of dishes and just throw my towel wherever I wanted to throw my towel and Lauren literally would look at me and she'd go really really boo this is what we're doing right now who do you who do you expect to clean this up right 
I was just coming into marriage with all of these uncommunicated expectations, right? And Lauren, on the other hand, she was dealing with some lingering insecurities about marriage and becoming a wife. And, and those things combined with our confrontational personalities, like it just, it just primed our first year of marriage to go nuclear, okay? Like it was a ticking time bomb, a powder keg, right? Uh, and we, in the midst of it, we were both asking questions like, God, why is our marriage like this? God, dude... Did I marry the wrong person? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure you gave me the spiritual high five on this and you told me to go, but it certainly doesn't feel like this is what you actually have for me. What do, I mean, is this just what I can expect? Is it just going to be a long road until death now? Like, is that where we're at, you know? We were discouraged. We were beaten up and felt demoralized. But now, and now don't hear me wrong. I don't want to do that again, okay? Like, I'm going to go ahead and say that. I don't want to experience it again. I'm not signing up for another round of that difficulty. But in the midst of it, looking back on it now, it was one of the most fruitful seasons of our lives. Through it, God revealed to us all of these things that we would have never seen before. Like, I would have never known about my selfish expectations had it not been for that season. I would have never learned how to graciously love my wife through her fears if it weren't for the pain of that time. In the moment, I was hurting, but in the hardship, God was working. He was pruning us to turn our marriage and our persons into something more beautiful than we ever could have possibly imagined. And so hear me. I don't know where you are this morning, but this means there are going to be things in your life, things that you potentially hold dear to, that God is going to cut, all right? It might be a habit maybe an activity, maybe a relationship. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever is choking out fruit in your life, whatever is keeping you from following Christ and bearing fruit, because God loves you and wants joy for you, it's gonna get cut. It's gonna get cut. And perhaps like my friend from earlier, you're sitting here this morning feeling absolutely defeated. You've been fighting and trying so hard for so long with what feels like so little victory and you just want to give up. And you're thinking, something must be wrong. And what I want to say to you this morning is, just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It might be hard for the right reasons. It might be hard because in the midst of it right now, God is wanting to do something. He is wanting to grow you in a way that you can't even see. But he's in the midst of the pain doing it. And what I want to leave you with this morning is just the reminder of this promise for wherever you're, at, wherever you're at, listen to this promise to you this morning from verses 7 through 9. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you hear this good word? If you, want, if you want God to grow you, if you want him to bring fruit into your life, ask him, because he will. His word promises he will do it. And so friends, God is not done with you. I don't care what you believe about yourself this morning. God is not done with you. He loves you. Abide in his love. So here's how we're gonna end this morning.
we're going to end with just some time and some space to respond to this good good news of God's love for us. We're going to sing some songs, and we're going to take communion together if you're a believer in Jesus, where we remember the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus on our behalf that prove to us, that are glaring proof to us that these words are true, that God loves us enough to not only do what we couldn't do for ourselves, but give us the power to become what we're meant to be. But what I want to do is I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to give you some questions and some space to reflect, and then we're going to respond together. And so here's the first one. I just want to ask you, is your life bearing fruit? Like if you were to assess your life right now, are you you connected to the vine and bearing the fruit that ought to come from Jesus? Is that you? Because if it's not, it might be cause for alarm. And you might need to do some confessing to God to say, say today, God, I'm not bearing fruit. I'm living disconnected from you. And I need you to do something in me to bring some fruit, to change me from the inside out. Next question. What, for you, what is that it's always going to be that way thing? Okay? What is that for you? The thing that you think is never going to change and, and, all, and has caused your efforts and faithfulness to wane? to kind of slack off a little bit. What is that for you? This morning, I want to invite you to also confess that to God and beg him for his power, to beg him to do what he says he will do and actually rejuvenate and equip you to bear fruit in those things. Another thing I would ask you is, are you just trying to muster up fruit on your own to make God happy with you? Is that where you're at this morning? That you've been trying for so long to just kind of pretty yourself up to make God happy with you. For you, I want to invite you to confess that to God and be free. I want to invite you to turn that over this morning and say, God, it is not about what I do for you, but it is about what you have done for me. Set me free, Lord Jesus, please. And so here's how we respond. We go to him. We come to the vine, and that's what we're going to do. And so some of you, while we're in this time, you need to take, aside, uh, take a step aside and confess those things. Some of you need to cry out to God for whatever it may be. I want to encourage you to do that as we sing and take communion together. And I would love to pray for you. And so let me pray for you, and then we'll continue to worship Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, for this people, for this church family. I thank you for your faithful work in them. I thank you for how you have drawn them to yourself and you are reminding them of your greatness and your goodness to them. God, my prayer for them is that they would be a people who bear much fruit, a people who abide in you, who come to you. And so God, we're gonna need some help because I know know the temptation for me and so I'm gonna assume it's for a lot of other people. It's just to pretty our own selves up to kind of come to you saying, God, let me boast in this about me and surely you'll accept me because of what I'm offering here. God, I pray that you would break that in us and bring us to faith in Christ alone. God, I pray that you would help us to see the areas of our lives where we're not currently bearing fruit and that you would sharpen and change us in those things. God, I want to ask that you would give us the power that you would help us to see that you have not left us alone but even in the midst of trying circumstances that you would give us the faith to believe that you are active and at work in the midst of them and that that would encourage our souls and spur us on to keep chasing after you and abiding in your love God we are grateful for your grace and your mercy and it's in Jesus name that we ask these things